It's a star. The answer is a, it's a star. I'm Harry. I'm Rory. And you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game music. Musies? Well, Musely. I was just thinking we're having a musical opening to this episode <laughs> with uh, the classic Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which the of course... classic, like you're, it's not a Beatles song or something, it's like, oh yes, that classic tune. Well, I googled the lyrics and it says, um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Stong by dead space (laughs) (laughs) because my google algorithms have been completely corrupted by the subject of this week's episode dead space and uh, specifically dead space downfall the first animated movie and dead space aftermath the second animated movie (laughs) yes this is a science fiction double feature marking the start of our little horror mini season. I mean, we do Mm. horror movies throughout the year regardless, but it's nice to specialize a little bit during the spookiest month of a year. Not January, October. Exactly. I um, was watching these films and they're quite bloody and quite violent. And I was thinking, oh, you know what? It's nice to watch horror films and not like the Resident Evil movies, which for all their zombies, I can't remember the last time I was scared by a Resident Evil film. So yeah, happy to tackle this. And also, um, as a massive fan of the games, what I like about doing these podcasts is we pick a, we pick a film, we pick a game, and we spend like a week or more sort of immersing ourselves as best we can into the world. And so it was really nice to return to 2008, which I think was when the first game came out. And, you know, those were the best years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> killing killing necromorphs, as uh, Brian Adams does in that song, I think. What song? The best years of my life. I'm sorry, I thought like killing necromorphs. I googled that. The best years of my life by Dead Space. (laughs) Oh, is that? No, is that the. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Did you hear that? The computer is talking to you. I'm starting to hear voices like (laughs) Dead Space. Uh, Let me turn my phone off for a moment there. 
I just realised, is that the summer... Sorry, the song is called The Summer of 69, isn't it? Yeah, best years of our lives, isn't that the Baja Men or something? I don't know. We've gone on a massive tangent, but hey, that's what we're all about, question mark? That's anyway. just how it shakes on the Games on the Film podcast. I mentioned earlier, I'm like... I wouldn't say I was a super fan, but I've played almost every single game. I think the only Dead Space game I've not played has been like there's a a puzzle, an action horror puzzle game um, called I can't. Let's just call it Dead Space, the mobile action horror puzzle game. It's got a name, <laughs> uh, but I've have played Dead Space one, two, three, Extraction on the Wii, and I even played Dead Space. On the mobile, there was like a, a like it was on the iPad. It was like a mobile game, which was really impressive as well. I mean, I just got an iPad one, and that was the one which didn't even have a camera on it, but it played that game pretty impressively. So I'll talk about that in a little while. And what's your experience with Dead Space? Well, I've only played I think the first game and a demo for the second game, and maybe I played a tiny bit of extraction with you if there was a two-player thing or maybe i just played a couple levels i'm not sure but dead space was i think maybe the kind of best horror action game to be released in the wake of resident evil 4 Mm -hmm. and resident evil 4 very much revolutionized the survival horror and indeed third person action game genre by just moving the camera in a different position uh it seems but i i think Dead Space was very much heavily inspired and uh, influenced by what Capcom did with that franchise. It did, I think, arguably a more successful job in relaying the the horror than even that than even that title, because a little bit time had moved on. There was a bit more, you know, advancement in terms of graphics. Because I think the first game that was sort of Xbox three hundred and sixty, PlayStation three. It was the game I bought my Xbox 360 for, mm. sort of. I actually bought it because it was going to be there was going to be a sequel to the Ubisoft game Beyond Good and Evil, which is yet to come out. <laughs> um, who knows what's happening with that game? But yes, definitely a system seller. And I think very much so. What was impressive at the time and and probably still is now was just how immersive that game was. For a start, there was the visuals, which had incredibly impressive lighting effects. The way you'd have, you know, strobe lighting or the way light sort of like moved with like fans going past and how that created just, you know, a lot of atmosphere. Uh, The immersive sound, both in terms of ambient noise and also the, the sort of score as well, but just how it always felt like anything could pop out at any time just like the way the levels were constructed and the setting there's just so many vents and grates that mm. you know a bad guy could just pop out you know from the ceiling or from the sides um at a moment's notice but you were always as well on your toes because there was just like the sound of like you know wiring moving or like clanks and clonks happening in the distance so it always felt like something was around the corner I ended up playing a significant chunk of Dead Space uh, this week. I dusted off my Xbox 360. Yeah, for a game that is close... Gosh, how old is it? 2008? 
Yeah, so we're talking 13 years. For, it's still incredibly impressive graphics-wise. I think it's helped by um, the sort of industrial look of the spaceship you're in. I mean, just before we go further, I'll say mild spoilers for the Dead Space trilogy, because uh, I think we're just going to talk about setting and some general themes, but we're not talking spoilers for the films yet. So the industrial graphics really complement. They just look great. And as you say, the lighting effects are so impressive. You just enter rooms and there's like one burning light source and all these chains and other things moving around and you feel like a monster could appear from any part of the uh, level. Mm. Um, the immersion you mentioned um, was also complemented by there's no like HUD or anything. They do this clever thing where your life meter is going up the spine of your outfit. And that becomes a sort of touchstone for pretty much all the costuming across the franchises that we see. Not sure how that works. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I think it's just having that the, the blue strip and how the ammo appears on your guns mm-hmm. and how the oxygen supply appears on your back. It, it just adds to the immersion, the fact that you press pause or, or stop or whatever, but still... You know, you could be attacked at any point. There's like very few safe areas. So mm. in a way, it's sort of relentless. And, and I, I don't think there had been a game uh, before or um, I think at least since like maybe the uh, Resident Evil 2, I think. Um, and few games since where I've had that kind of nervousness just booting up the game <laughs> just like having the dead space menu and like all the kind of like flickering stuff happening and like the scary noises and just already getting my palms a little bit sweaty mm. I mean I was playing I was re because I didn't have that much time I actually started my replay like a day ago I messaged you saying I think I'm going to complete this game in like in like two sittings and then I realized that Games get harder as they go on. <laughs> but I was playing it in easy mode and I actually realized I'd done some DLC. So I had like a really powerful armor. I had like several of the weapons to start with, which you don't end up getting until later. But despite basically making all the enemies one shot kills, um, the atmosphere really stresses you out and makes you feel tense. And I, I noticed some sort of 2008 things which perhaps won't be present for the upcoming remake which is scheduled for 2022 like you say that the monsters can come out from anywhere but i quickly start to realize well the monsters can never go beyond a door they're very much limited to the room they're in Mm. and um and i read with interest there's not much known about the remake but one thing they intend to do with the remake is to give it the sort of seamlessness that we've come to expect in modern AAA games. So in Dead Space, the original, you get on a train in between levels, which was very much the end of chapters. It actually is a game split into chapters. And I actually kind of appreciated that little breathing room. I think were kind of necessary. And I don't know how the game is going to feel when like Mr. X and Resident Evil 2 style, you can be attacked at any moment i think the game kind of needs those safe spaces but of course we'll see i'm very happy i'm very happy that they are bringing dead space back because there's not been anything since 2013 uh the third game was 
very it was was received it received very mixed reviews and um i think we'll talk about the sequels shortly but that that kind of killed any sort of movement for dead space for quite some time and, and i guess it's my dream that whatever the dead space 2022 game does it reignites interest uh what dead space did really well was um as well as like the the action and stuff but it had really good set pieces um mm. and really memorable moments which you know changed the gameplay like the sort of zero g moments and the bits when you're sort of drifting out in space and and that sort of thing so yeah hopefully this um new version will be you know i think the idea is that it will be a fully fledged remake much like how resident evil 2 and 3 got their remakes and that it'll be the game and the sort of setting that you know but it won't be necessarily a beat for beat retelling mm. and that will allow them to you know use what was there but expand it and add to it and create you know whole new horrifying encounters i'm sure yeah it's just does seem slightly odd to me because again going back to dead space the original it still looks fantastic and so i think there's going to be less of an impressive difference between dead space one and the original version of resident evil 2 and 3 but um i'm sure it's been done with a lot of care and attention so you know i don't want to sound too negative on this at all i just think i guess i'm just really still very impressed with with the game which i hadn't played in more than a decade it can't be more of a decade because we're talking about 13 years so i haven't played it for a good long while is what i'm trying to say Mm. and i was still massively impressed and i think the first one is still probably the best um if i think it's that thing where the first one has the best tension uh, and I think it's the, it, it it does what it sets out to achieve the best. I think the sequel, um, which is set on a space station as opposed to the claustrophobic confines of a spaceship, it it handles a lot better, and the the zero g sections are done a lot more effectively. I think I mentioned that in our 007 James Bond's Moonraker mini review you know shooting in zero g is still immensely cool it's like it's just cool as fuck um (laughs) that's interesting you mentioned that given that uh visceral games uh who made the original dead space games um was originally known as ea redwood shores and they were the developers behind 007 agent under fire everything or nothing from russia with love but not 007 legends no, no. Okay, that have been too serendipitous. Although actually, um, the engine that was used for Dead Space Extraction was then used for the Goldeneye remake because uh, both were done by Eurocom as well. Oh. So that ties back into our previous James Bond special. Nice. Uh, Dead Space. The quote three... James Bond. <laughs> I haven't seen No Time to Die die yet, but I imagine the final word he says, he just turns to the camera, takes off his shades and just goes, noise. (laughs) Yeah. um, Sorry, spoilers for No Time to Die. That does happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first game is a claustrophobic spaceship. The second game, while it controls a lot better, um, it's in the space station and it's so wide 
it's just not quite as tense though yeah. i think i remember it, there's certain story beats involving like syringes and stuff going to eyes which seems to be like a recurring theme in this franchise but um, there's a scene in which some awful stuff happens to your eye which i keep seeing in greatest video game moments or most horrifying video game moments lists in dead space 2 um i mentioned dead space 3 got mixed reviews and i think in the short time since the first game uh, dead space had turned from a survival horror sort of copy of resident evil 4 and you know i guess we'll talk about this a bit later but it's the most derivative series in existence despite my love for it it's uh, not really original um dead space 3 so 3 had was very much now in like the gears of war mode where it was still highly horrific sort of visuals wise but there wasn't really the tension anymore and this was compounded by the fact that you could do it in co-op if you play mm. it if you play it in single player you have this sort of second character who's a soldier who just sort of like superman and clark kent he sort of goes off for a little bit and then like shit hits the fan <laughs> so it's also set on the planet and um but i think the, see here's the thing i kind of avoided the third one because it got such a bad rap but then i did pick it up for a couple of quid um maybe a, a few years after it came out i really enjoyed myself so i think gameplay wise and, and i like the universe it's decent i think the loudest complaints came from people who really hated the microtransaction nature mm. because i think this series was started during ea games's sort of brief dalliance with original ips it wasn't a completely successful experiment because they ended up producing things like mirror's edge which didn't sell very well even though it was really good but i think they'd lost a bit of confidence by dead space 3 and so you could sort of upgrade your weaponry basically by real world money um when I played the game, I didn't pay a dime for any of the upgrades, and I don't think I was really that bothered. But I think a lot of people in the gaming community were like, "This, you're basically doing pay to play, and this is shit," and kind of dismissed the game entirely. But hey, I liked it, but it's still a distant third place to the other two games. Yeah, and that seems to mirror, at least in terms of the co-op, what's happened with capcom and resident evil 5 and then sits and how 7 then became a kind of return back to the roots and i imagine the remake of dead space will uh act in much the same way um for the franchise and um just touching on like kind of action heavy and like non-tension stuff the wii game was obviously produced because it couldn't cope with the graphical power of the mainline trilogy but it's an on-rail shooter and one key one of the i guess the only hook is the idea of dismemberment unlike resident evil it's not about the headshots it's um these necromorphs which are sort of the in-game replacement for zombies uh, a headshot will do nothing. The only way to stop them is to dismember them, either by accurately shooting their limbs or using chainsaws and things like that. So um, in the Wii game, you 
you're basically doing that by twisting your hand and twisting the Wii remote. So it was like a quite unique on way rail shooter and was also very much within the, the canon universe of, of the game. Uh, the Wii game is set, is, is a prequel to the first Dead Space f- game. And both the Wii game, Dead Space Extraction, and the film, Dead Space Downfall, and also the comic, I've read some issues of the comic this week, uh, they're all set on the colony, the mining colony of Age of Seven, which uncovers this alien artifact, which causes the ship to hit the fan. So extraction the comic and downfall are all kind of prequels and all sort of telling i wouldn't say the same story but they're they're set co-currently to the first game whatever it is it's just up ahead my god we found it gotta call this in earth you should have an image Down here! You're killing everyone! Oh my god! Oh my god! In a remote edge of the galaxy, a massive mining operation is underway. This is Aegis Colony. Artifact discovered. The thing is cursed. It's a holy relic. We have the right! They seem to have an idea that this is what created us. What secrets do you have for us? What's happening? A spike in serious violent incidents. We've brought something aboard that we didn't understand. Something alien and it's trying to kill us. The suicides? The murders? A discovery that should never have been made. They need bodies. They need us to turn. Has awakened an evil that should never have been unleashed. Make it stop! Our bodies. This is an infection designed to take over our entire race. Yes, turned us against each other. They have taken over the bodies of the crew. It's the opening chapter of a dark saga. Crucial backstory to EA's hotly anticipated video game. Fire! The Ishimura is under their control. The terrifying new feature film that will redefine animated horror. Dead Space Downfall. With Dead Space Downfall, it's kind of, I suppose, a media spin-off promotional tie-in more than anything in that... um, it was released almost sort of at the same time as the first game. Mm. And as you were saying, the, the events of that is a, act as a sort of prequel to the game. So it's just expanding the lore for those who are interested. And Aftermath then, uh, which came a little bit later, you sort of joins, I guess, the events of the first game and the second game. And that was, I, I think, sort of released again kind of sort of promotional tie-in for those who want some extra material. Um, But in terms of Dead Space on screen, there was a 1991 movie called (laughs) Dead Space, which focuses on a killer virus being released on a space station and monsters ensue. It it does star Brian Cranston as a scientist, 
um, I think responsible for it. And it, it's apparently a, a sort of thin remake of a Roger Corman movie called Forbidden World from the 80s. And Corman, it's actually the producer's Dead Space. I couldn't possibly say whether it's any better than, you know, the Dead Space movies that we're talking about now or, it's, you know, the like, Dead Space games. I frequently, frequently see the movie Shadow Man on telly and i excitedly click over to it and it's like a steven seagal movie i think (laughs) and so i click away again um but you know there has been some talks in the past and i think we mentioned on a previous episode how uh for instance john carpenter is a big fan of the games and has often talked about how much he would love to make a dead space movie and i'm sure there is willingness on the side of the original creators of the games, because I imagine that, you know, the thing, for instance, um, mm. for the Necromorphs, etc., um, the designers of the game would have drawn a lot of inspiration from there. But I think it also depends on whether John Carpenter actually really wants to make any movies anymore at all, because he seems quite happy not making movies <laughs> and doing his own thing as well. It's a, it's a funny preposition because the music and atmosphere for the games are so strong i can't imagine it with a with a you know john carpenter soundtrack with the synths <laughs> as much as i love the man you know the soundtrack for the thing movie was not actually done by him but ennio morricone he's like i'm sure carpenter was like do that do what i usually do <laughs> <laughs> um but yes with these with these two movies um which I guess we'll talk about a little bit back to back, but we might jump around and we'll let you know when we're we're getting into spoilers. Um, but yes, they very much serve as not adaptations of the events of the games, but more filling in gaps, background lore, um, using sort of settings and scenarios and maybe characters that you encounter in in the first two games and basically sort of beefing up the story and, you know, giving fans of the franchise um, a little more to get their teeth into. Yeah, it's interesting how not so long ago we did an episode about another EA franchise, uh, Mass Effect. And I mentioned in that episode how this that was the first time we'd ever done um, sort of in, an in-canon bit of content because in Mass Effect, it's telling the story of one of the Mass Effect 3 characters and in the game Mass Effect 3, he had mentioned that scenario. Um, this is very much the same. This is like in uh, in universe. There's like one or two differences, but I think it's done more for storytelling reasons than, than I don't know, anything else. But um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of cool. It's, it just changes things. This is something for this is something for fans isn't it but mm. reverend i so I, I don't know if it really functions if you're not already a fan there was definitely moments when watching these where it was like oh yeah that's a thing oh yeah that's a thing because like you know my memory of the game having played it probably soon after it originally came out is pretty hazy so i remember mm. stuff like oh i remember shooting limbs off dribbly monsters with a laser cutter and i remember being like grabbed by a monster and sort of pulled into a vent and but i completely forgot about hallucinations being a thing (laughs) and i completely forgot about 
um you know the 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 markers and the yeah. you know the mining stuff and, and i'll tell you something about the markers like i've played as i said i've played nearly all the games even at the end of us all i'm still really confused about the whole marker thing which i guess <laughs> we'll delve into a bit in spoilers <laughs> But I mean, like the the sort of so the film and and the sort of settings and I you know obviously derived from the games, but the influences of the games as well as you know in terms of the playability stuff like Resident Evil Four, but a lot of it comes from cinema and mm. you know obviously you know you mentioned Mass Effect and and things and I could definitely see obviously different developers and stuff like that, but you know having done that Mass Effect movie quite recently and and doing this. You know, there was some sort of similarity there, but you you can't talk sort of space horror without mentioning the lights of Alien. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, quite interestingly, I was when I was watching this, it, it reminded me a bit of like Prometheus. And, um, you know, even though that was sort of made after. I know. Um, I actually got a real thing about watching Prometheus again <laughs> because of some of the themes presented. And it's also, I mean, I remember this game coming out and this is like, this is the the best Alien game we never had. And it's only later they made Alien Isolation. So it's kind of like the Ouroboros nature, isn't it? I don't think mm-hmm. Alien Isolation would really exist if um, Dead Space hadn't been there first and Dead Space wouldn't be there if Alien hadn't been there. And, you know, mm-hmm. by the time we get to Aftermath, we've got spaceships called like the, the UMC O'Bannon and O'Bannon mm. is like the writer of Alien. There's a Dr. Ridley in that film too. That's that was major clunky. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to clunky, I think I remember you telling me I thought it was Ripley. Either you know way, what? it could be Ripley or Ridley. Um <laughs> either way, it's it's a bit of a yeah. clunky name drop. And, and speaking of clunky, of course, it's no, there's no clunkier than the name of the protagonist in the games, who's Isaac Clarke. And I think you know, you've rolled your eyes at me many times in our lives, Rory, but I think I distinctly remember you talking about Isaac Clarke and thinking, oh my God, this is so pathetic. And and it is. It's like, it is, you know. <laughs> as well as those, then obviously, as you say, like recycling this content again and again and again and how you have, say, Event Horizon taking mm-hmm. its cues from Alien and that being a Paul W.S. Anderson movie, friend of the podcast, as as, <laughs> mm-hmm. as established. But maybe not so much anymore after my thoughts on Monster Hunter. Um, but, you know, I, you could obviously use that as a cue. And then I think Anderson produced Pandorum, which was Still another... I've not like, seen that, but I'd like Well, to. I haven't seen it, but it's like, again, you know, just any time you see, like, and you know, the Doom movie, for instance, any time you see, like, oh, it's a metal corridor and there's some strobe lighting and there's maybe monster at the end of it it all comes back to alien but it's just it's it's as you say i think dead space was one of the first games even after all those alien games to actually create that uh sensation uh you know that sort of atmosphere and feeling that those films those alien films did um way back when if I was making a space station or a distant mining colony on a hostile planet, I would make it that when the shit hits the fan, you get lots of nice, even lighting. <laughs> <laughs> I would not make it terrifying because I don't think that helps. Um, <laughs> I'd make sure that no sudden air vents start like spewing 
steam Jesus or smoke. Christ. Yeah. Although, like, given that this is set on like a mining vessel, I just think of Red Dwarf, and I just kind of like yes. picture what would what would um, Lister do in this scenario, and he get out there with a bazookoid and twat a necromorph. Yeah, indeed. Well, they had to deal with a polymorph. Polymorph or necromorph? I don't know which is well. Something more challenging. Kind of proboscis, proboscis, <laughs> going into his head, which happens in these uh, games and films. <laughs> I mean, again, as well as the aesthetics, Red Dwarf and Alien, and these sort of films, they often deal with like blue collar workers, and I think that was the big thing of Alien. They weren't. It wasn't you, know, Captain Kirk or Captain Picard or like. You know, I know Captain Picard didn't exist in 1970, whenever they made Alien. But you know what I mean. This was this wasn't like the the higher ups. This these were like your average Joes. And Isaac Clarke is just an engineer, and like the weaponry you get presented with are all kind of like mining tools and things like that. The game is a game where you mostly use this pistol called the plasma cutter which can shoot vertically or horizontally, and that's really useful for shooting off limbs in their various alignments. I felt really dirty in my recent playthrough because I had a machine gun, and I, was, I felt like I was just being naughty, just using... I wasn't staying true to the spirit of things, <laughs> like merging all these aliens with um, a machine gun. But I think the characters in, in Downfall soon encounter that, like, bullets aren't the best at the stopping power and yeah they resort to the laser chainsaws pretty quickly mm. but in aftermath i think they sort of eschew that and it's just guns 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 uh, but... you know it's shared knowledge you gotta <laughs> you gotta update your log entries and make sure everyone's aware of the weak enemy weak points oh yeah i forgot like in dead space the ship is littered with people who decided to do that that their last few moments is like a vlog an audio recording <laughs> so like i well, don't that's know that's what that's how downfall starts and ends that's true i mean i know oh god this is a vlogging is big is still big in the 26th century <laughs> it's true in, in in a modern catastrophe people get their phones out and i'm sure they'll be like running away saying i can't deal with this rather than saving themselves but you know please like and subscribe <laughs> Oh, that's how the remake's going to do it, isn't it? The 2020 remake. It's like, I'm, I'm seeing my daughter, but, she, but she's dead now. I can hear the voices. Please like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> so I have the back of the box for the two-disc edition, double-feature version of Dead Space Downfall and Dead Space aftermath um the first film was released in 2008 as i said at the time of the first game and aftermath was released in 2011 and we will talk about them sort of separately but uh, there'll be some shared dna naturally between them so the synopsis reads based on ea's best-selling dead space games unlock the secrets behind the action horror series with this two disc movie collection the secrets of the Dead Space universe are laid bare across two discs of alien terror. First, witness the horrific outbreak of the Necromorph Plague on board the mining ship USG Ishimura in Dead Space Downfall, the prequel to the first hit video game. Then, 
in Dead Space Aftermath, discover the fate of the USG O'Bannon and what went wrong in the attempt to save Aegis 7. But with only four survivors, what secrets have been kept, and more importantly, what terrible new dangers have been revealed? Ooh, I'm getting a chill down my spine just hearing that description. <laughs> In the dead of space, on a dying planet, the rumors are true. After all missions have failed, after all battles have been lost, it's over. It's not finished. The aftermath begins. The artifact fragments have survived. What is it? Now, even darker secrets will be revealed. Oh my god. They've come for us. Even more terrifying truths will be uncovered. We want you dead! And the survivors will face the dawn of a new terror. Tell us about the Shah. My god, it's a blueprint. They think that they can control this. There have been questions raised about what happened at Aegis 7. All those deaths? You did it on purpose! The signal from the Shard permeates the dead flesh. Saga enters a horrifying new chapter. Dead Space Aftermath. But I think to sort of just, you know, summarize, we've mentioned, but what the, the game sort of entail and the general pot is there is this mining ship and um i believe there's planet cracking basically kind of future fracking where earth's Mm. resources have been depleted so spaceships have been sent out to basically destroy planets or remove massive chunks of them in order to get the resources um and in so doing they uncovered this uh ancient marker and as we said it starts to make people go a bit doolally and Doolally space. I guess also turn them into monsters. I'm not sure what sort of, you know, because some people like go crazy, but don't turn into monsters. Or do they go crazy and turn into monsters? Or is the monsters thing a virus? <laughs> well, shall we talk a little bit about necromorphs while we're here? Um... Oh, no, it's that the, the marker has the, the cuneiform on the marker corresponds to like a DNA sequence. Is that what it is? So to (laughs) to describe a marker, um, people in the games and I think in the animations, if um, they, they sort of cross their fingers, it looks like two massive stone fingers crossing, but with pointy tips. And I mentioned earlier, I got confused a lot by the markers because the games feature both black and red markers. Basically the black marker is a true alien artifact. The red markers are copies made by humans. 
they functionally right. do the same thing but the reason one's red see and this is where i was confused i thought i thought like only red markers i thought there something went wrong in the copying of the black marker so when they're red it causes shit to happen but having returned to the dead space wikipedia and everything i don't think that's the case i think just red denotes it's man-made and okay um is it is it a fake one because it's sold by crazy red <laughs> from animal crossing that's why they're red markers <laughs> yes my bit bargain base red markers with cousin discounts uh, <laughs> afraid not only four thousand nine hundred and eighty bells no, so like the films we're talking about never actually mention a black marker, or they sort of they sort of do because I mean, like, hmm, I feel it's like it's not we should... particularly relevant to. It's not particularly relevant to the films, anything. and I think I'll talk a bit about a bit more about markers and things in the the spoiler discussion. But um, in in talking about necromorphs, like. I think you remember not finding them very scary in the games. There's something about them which actually really disturbs me because they are they are humans but t- bent out of all kinds of shape and they seem to be in agony. And I think while they are kind of in-game replacement for zombies... I think they sidestep the problem zombies have because you're always wondering in zombie films and games, like if zombies like eat people, then there's nothing left to reanimate. But here a necromorph will come and kill you dead. And then in the equivalent of a face hugger, these kind of flying creatures, which I Googled and they are called infectors and they are made out of humans as well. They're like a torso with a stre- flap of skin between two legs flapping around. They look like they little look, fleshy bats. They are. And I don't, they are very silly looking. <laughs> There's a shot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they look silly in the game. There's a shot in Dead Space Downfall where one kind of like a shuttle is taking off and one quickly like nips across the hangar <laughs> and, and fly, uh, flaps in behind him to attack yeah. a corpse and you're like <laughs> it just needed a little <laughs> anyway the thing is i okay they are also humans but i'm missing i'm missing the step between markers and necromorphs i think that's the confusing thing because the markers make people go mad and, and markers need meat this is the thing the the necromorphs are reanimated dead things so unlike the zombies which need like arms and legs and things to stand on necromorphs like just need flesh and matter and so it makes perfect sense for a necromorph to kill you and then later you get infected by an infector but without any necromorphs around people just go mad and they end up killing each other and i'm missing what turns somebody into a necromorph an infector but what makes an infector a necromorph no but an infector is a type of necromorph then yeah the necromorph makes the infector and then the infector makes the necromorph it's a chicken and an egg scenario Uh... (laughs) so yeah like i said played all of the games i'm still clear but to the game's credit it there are some purposefully nebulous things so it doesn't answer every single question on purpose but, you know, when you're here trying to pick apart something for a podcast, you end up sounding like a twat on air. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's really any need to sort of get bogged down into the, the evolutionary aspects of these, you know, limbs of plenty mega monsters. Yeah. I maybe, think it's maybe the remake will go down the Prometheus Alien Covenant route and make and explain everything in excruciating detail, and <laughs> also ruining it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, like just just on that though, because like. There is this idea that these markers were made by aliens and mm. aliens created humans. Mm. And that's like a big theme which runs through um the games and this and these two movies is like this new space religion called Unitology. Um and it's some sort of characters' motivations, they're kind of hardened unitologists that they need to you know, retrieve these artifacts, these markers at all costs, and it'll awaken the sort of like great universe, um, universal awakening mm -hmm. where everyone will become unified. And it, it sort of smacks a little bit of the um, the Resident Evil problem. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there just yet, but like the Resident Evil problem in how inevitably in any Resident Evil thing, the mad doctor will be like, I will become the greatest living creature known to mankind. And it's just like a very big fella with a <laughs> massive arm and an eyeball growing out of their chest. I am the perfect, and it's a bit like, Is this... perfect physical entity. Are you sure <laughs> yeah, about exactly. that? You kind of have your head's on your side permanently now. I mean, most people just do a tough mudder and get over it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Gosh, you're Birkin, you're a monstrosity, but how many calories have I burnt? Look at, look at my abs. <laughs> shredded <laughs> um i mean just briefly touching on the unitology i think that's a really i thought i found that an incredibly interesting aspect of the games again it felt quite brave back then for like being critical of religion so head-on in a video game but it sort of comes as no surprise as in my research i discovered that sort of the story and concept were created by like three i think comic writers one of which is warren ellis um now we talked about warren, warren ellis in our castlevania review and we also addressed sort of the problematic aspects of him at that time but um so listen to that if you want to have our full thoughts on warren ellis but those castlevania animes are very obsessed with religion, aren't they? And then the game is very obsessed with religion. And so... Do you think he's say, very obsessed with religion? Yeah. Let's just say my jaw did not drop. It remained firmly attached to the top of my mouth <laughs> uh, when I read <laughs> I that. It, I think, you know, it's, it sort of adds like something extra where mm. it isn't just like, here's a bunch of monsters of any space station. And it's interesting how, like, you know, less so obviously in the games, but by the time you get to Resident Evil, the final chapter, and you meet Dr. Isaacs, not Isaac hmm. Clark, and you find sort of Umbrella's grand scheme in, in that film. And it, it does mean that there's maybe a little bit more substance um, mm. to the the events and the action, at least in, in these films too. Yeah, I mean, the games could just be zombie stomping action, but wrapped up in this there's themes of like organized religion i think it's interesting i think in the games and the films are talking about we have people who believe the faith believe unitology but not blindly 
I think there's characters who have a, a crisis of faith when they realize, oh, Unitology promised me immortality, but I didn't want it in this way. Um, again, this becomes really interesting because uh, you mentioned Did Aliens Create Us? I don't know if it, the film, I don't know if Dead Space completely confirms that, but it does confirm no. that the black marker was found in the crater, which is believed to have killed the dinosaurs. So the alien black marker is found on Earth. And sort of the events of this game and films are sort of kicked off by the discovery of a red marker in on this planet age of seven where the mining colony is um oh because they do mention something about 65 million years ago exactly and, and also, i was like oh so we're gonna get dinomorphs <laughs> if only um but there's also some dialogue at the start of downfall which is very basically there's a scene in downfall just like an alien when they discover like the ship in alien for the first time the crash ship in downfall it begins with people discovering the marker and there's some dialogue to the effect of does this crater seem to be made by this particular type of um drill or something along those lines and someone says that hasn't been used in hundreds of years this ishimura mining operation to this colony is illegal they mentioned that a few times in the film it's illegal because there's like a governmental order not to go here and mine it because of the discovery of the marker. And so as well as the religious theme, there's the idea, it's also like the messing with stuff you don't understand, the sort of trope of much science fiction. And because it's like a mining ship, mining somewhere they shouldn't, and you mentioned fracking, it's just also, I think, a depressingly realistic vision of the future where we are mining other planets because r- rather than stopping how much we're burning on earth, we are mining other planets. Like I'm, I just thought watching these films, um, well, as soon as we actually manage to get to Mars, we're going to start strip mining that place, aren't we? <laughs> it's really depressing. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to try all that red rock. <laughs> mm, delicious red rocks. I think to... red is going to be is going to be in like Mars dust is going to be suddenly sprinkled on top of expensive burgers by Salt Bay or something. Oh god, you're talking about burgers. I was thinking about just sniffing that stuff up and, and <laughs> claiming I'm getting a high because it costs so much. <laughs> um, so I think what we've just established with this little chat is, you know, these are not kind of empty films with empty plots, and you know, I think there's a lot of meat to get one's teeth into. This is Aegis Colony. Artifact discovered. Could be a second marker. Please advise. Unitologist Church has been notified. They're awaiting specs. Earth, you should have an image. Files are uploaded. My God. We found it. Launch of Ishimura on schedule. Arrival on station one month. Prepare the artifact for transfer to the ship. Artifact removed from discovery site. Strange interference generated. Unexplained violence reported among colonists. Planet security handling it. Artifact is quarantined and ready for removal. Acknowledged. Ishimura will be on station and ready for transport shortly. Our expert Dr. Kine is aboard and will coordinate the experiments. Altman be praised. So we've been talking around the setting of these games and of Downfall and Aftermath, but how do you think 
downfall functions as a film. Did you, actually, you know what? Did you like it, Rory? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just say, because we've covered particularly, I think, this year on the podcast more than any, um, we've covered like quite a few adult animation adaptations of video games. And I'll say that, relatively speaking, Downfall is maybe one of the stronger ones. But I think it's one of the stronger ones, I think, because it, it has some more depth to it. And, and maybe that is borrowed depth from the games, but it's still there. Whereas I think Mass Effect, for instance, I did not particularly care for. And, you know, Bayonetta, I did not particularly care for. And that also had some borrowed depth in, in that respect. But I think it was handled a lot better here in, in Downfall. I have, you know, some, I don't think it's, you know, particularly excellent in, in any respect, but I appreciated that, it, you know, it, the characters did have something to say. And even though they were a bit surface, I got to, I got their sort of like the idea. I got the gist behind all of them pretty quickly. Um, we spend more time with like the Mass Effect squad and that in Paragon Lost than we do with you know, the security team that is, I guess, the sort of main focus in Downfall. But I feel like I knew the ones in Downfall a bit better just by the very sort of like cursory uh, introduction that we we have with them. And yeah, I, I kind of admired how it maintained um, maybe not so much like the atmosphere um, because it is a bit more blam blam and you know the animation style is is you know doesn't have a huge amount of like the shadows and the lighting and and stuff of of the games but i think it sort of maintains a certain amount of you know thematically and sort of maybe nihilism as well and just how a lot of people die in sort of horrible ways by um nasty creatures um i think it's very bloody and gory and you know maybe too much so maybe it sort of like lapses into the sort of like puerile uh like you know appealing to the like the you know teenage boys market sort of thing too much but at least it has that at least it does that you know whether that's a market for or against it um it's doing something at least i think i'll agree with most of what you said about downfall because yeah i think it helps that it's going it's it's decidedly a prequel and so it does have an end point to get to um i think where the mass effect paragon lost film suffered is is that it sort of had to swim in some of the same waters as mass effect two and three it and sort of it kind of revealed stuff that like Shepard sort of discovers in the film I don't know if it felt a little bit messy but this this has a, a bit of a focus and yeah it gets super gory when shit hits the fan and yeah the characters are a little I think it has that main character problem where the the protagonist she's kind of a generic kick-ass character and sort of the side characters are a bit more interesting because they are the ones dealing with a crisis of faith and moral problems or and issues with like religion and stuff like that 
I don't know. I, I thought I thought that um, Alyssa Vincent, head of security and hard ass, um, yeah, she is a bit like stock in big quotation marks, strong female character. But I did kind of like her. I liked the vocal performance. Oh, I, liked- I liked how she was very much like take no shit mm. the whole time. So it's like, yeah, you'd want her as head of security because she's got fucking balls. <laughs> oh, for sure. I do. I do like her. I, I do like her a lot. Um, I just think we didn't get to know her in her life terribly much, which, you know, okay. it's, not, it's not a deal breaker at all. Um, I mean, there's only so much you can do in a 70 yeah. minute spin-off piece of puff. And, you know, I, I don't want to reveal like plot spoilers quite yet, but, you know, towards the end, you've got two characters in opposition and you kind of see both their points of view, which is like, that is drama with a capital D. So that's kind of cool. So, yeah, I would say while you can decide for yourself whether it's an essential watch, I think whereas the Mass Effect animated movie felt completely extraneous and not much of an enjoyable watch, I felt this gave me exactly what I wanted from a prequel in the original game, you're reading logs about these events. It's quite cool to see it all done on the on the on your small screen, but done quite just done quite well, just done really well. So yeah, thumbs up from me. Now, because we're in like non-spoiler territory, I think we should just briefly talk about how we felt about aftermath, and then we can talk about these two films together, perhaps. So for me, aftermath was definitely the lesser of the two. Um, when it started, I thought, oh, this is, this is actually really bad. I, I think when we decided to do this episode, I told you I'd seen both Dead Space movies and I realized I had not because at least initially the animation I, I, it started and like the first thing you see is spaceships and you're like, oh, I hope this isn't all going to be like in low, low 3D, bad 3, bad CGI. And then it was, and then it kept going and, and you know, this was a director video CGI movie. You know, the very fact that Pixar is leasing cars too at the same year, you know, different kettle of fish. But like the animation at the start of that film was so atrocious. It was like, I sent you a picture saying, yeah, what is Mr. Chips doing now? Because it looked like it was from the TV show Catchphrase. It was so bad. It looked like, and there's, um, people they start doing like the hallucinations of like a little girl in a in a pink dress and it's like out of a, a barbie direct you know tv cartoon it's really i don't think it's even that good no. it look everything looks i couldn't tell whether it was meant to be heavily stylized or that's just the excuse that they were giving because i was like is this cell shaded because i think at the start when there's marines and stuff that looks okay but as soon as they take their helmets off or you see actual human beings and you realize they are no texture. They look like animatics, which Mm. have just had a bit of sort of like color, but I half expected them to like, just like drift along instead of actually walking, you know, just that sort of thing. There's one point where someone's face down on the floor and it looks like their models just been gone plop and just like <laughs> lying there in a pool of blood and that's meant to be dramatic but it just looks like they've tripped over and just like face planted i mean both films feature somebody getting sucked off 
sorry, I shouldn't have stopped there. Both films, <laughs> both films feature people being sucked off into space, which is not really a spoiler because that happens like in literally every sci-fi horror film in space. Um, but in Aftermath, this person very much just looks like a Star Wars action figure, you know, just rigid legs <laughs> and arms and just sort of <laughs> floating off into space. Um, so when we transition into 2D animation, I was so blessedly relieved. I was like, oh my thank hell we don't have to watch the entire film because the cgi i'm sure a lot of effort was when he put into it but um it just does not do tension it does not do horror it does not do scary hallucinations so that was a waste of time and the 2d sections they go for like a rashomon style thing i'd only really noticed it on like the second or third 2d bit where it's meant to be different animation styles but it doesn't really work because it's largely the same backgrounds and and characters. Like I only really noticed our, in like the second or third story when like the the captain of the ship looked entirely different than in the previous setting. And 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 so I kind of appreciate the idea. And I think the film got better as it went along because we spent more time in the flashbacks and we spent more time with the horror aspect. So I think it got better, but um, I could have done without the CGI framing device. And unlike all the other Dead Space media we've talked about so far, it's it's a much more of a separate story than the other stuff. This is, this is very much its own little pocket narrative. It's perhaps unfair to completely put a mark against Dead Space Aftermath purely for how it looks but clearly a choice was made and it was a very bad choice and it is just hugely distracting in those in those moments whether it's the the framing device with its just absolutely atrocious (laughs) uh computer animation or whether it's the arguably prettier 2d animation moments but because they change with each flashback for each of these four survivor characters, there is a, a disconnect then because, you know, the characters look quite different and it's only when they call each other by their names that it's just like, oh yeah, I, I guess that's meant to be them. But it's a, it's a shame because like Downfall, maybe not as much, but there are still, you know, kind of like interesting stuff in there. It's still like an okay story and the vocal performances are fine, generally speaking. Um, it's, you know, bleak and bloody too. But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's basically, you know, hobbled from the get-go by just how it looks. And unfortunately, how it looks corresponds to then how it feels. And it's very hard to take uh seriously um in those wraparound segments especially there are moments when the the character is recounting his story while cgi and then there's a crossfade to their 2d version and, and vice versa so you have this like like a, a 2d ver- segment will end at like some horrific moment and then the camera will fade and they're replaced by this sort of you know monstrosity of a cgi character and you're like oh oh <laughs> it, it loses you a little bit 
Um, but like the the it, it's interesting because like both films were also made by different teams. So the first film was directed by Chuck Patton, whose background is in comets, with the mention of Warren Ellis. But he also worked um, in animation, including episodes of Captain N, the Games Master, and mm-hmm. Double Dragon, the animated series. We're talking creme de la creme. We are. And interestingly enough, Film Roman, who handled the animation for the first film, also uh, did the Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm TV series, as well as providing animation for the likes of Garfield and Friends and um, The Simpsons, King of the Hill and Family Guy. But yeah, Aftermath, definitely Mortal Kombat, the animated video. But that was actually mainly uh, South Korean animating teams, um, different teams doing different segments. But the supervising director and I guess the overall project director was Mike Disser, who was an animator at Disney back in the mid 90s to 2000s and did most of their films there. But prior to this, worked on the Dante's Inferno animated film, which I think shares a lot of Dead Space Aftermath's DNA. I think there's you know quite a bit of talent ported over from that based on the Dante's Inferno video game. Um, but uh, after Dead Space Aftermath, he directed Hoodwinked 2, um, the sequel to the much beloved, not Shrek fairy tale CG animation uh, takeoff Hoodwinked. Um, and he also directed Postman Pat the movie, as well as providing the voice of Jess, the cat, apparently. I see. I think that's the one where there's like a pop idol story and killer robots. Yeah. So what we're saying, I guess we're both in agreement. I think the first film, well, well, I think both films are not 100% necessary, but if you're a fan, Downfall is a really nice expansion of the lore of the world. I feel Aftermath is kind of more for completionists only. Not entirely without merit, but... That merit has major caveats. <laughs> exactly. And that's not a character in the film, major caveats. <laughs> um, if the entire film was computer-generated, uh, then it would be a hard no. And But um, there is still stuff in there to enjoy. I think it has to be seen to be believed. Yes. Maybe you don't have to watch the whole thing, but I think you have to at least watch a segment um, just to get a feel for just how misguided um, <laughs> those portions of the film are. It's terrifying in an entirely different way to what they intended. <laughs> <laughs> but what uh, does Dead Space Downfall get right? And I guess we'll sort of head now into the spoilery sections of mm. the of the podcast um well i think the the voice cast we mentioned it before but you know we've got some good voices here and i guess that's important when you're when i mean one thing i like i guess one fear factor thing i had was is the idea of something making you go mad you know and i know madness in in modern film terms can be a bit of a sensitive topic because obviously we're all, we all care about our mental health and things but when you have this alien artifact making you see things and making you do things 
and you don't realize you're doing them in fact actually that's some that's a scene i thought aftermath really did right there's a bit in aftermath when somebody thinks they're killing like necromorphs but then this female necromorph you can just about hear her say why and it sort of heavily implies and i think later confirms that he was hallucinating and he's basically killed his wife and kid um so just talking about that that's grim (laughs) and i think that moment was slightly offset by the fact that the animation team decided to make the dead wife's breast and nipple just like so perky and pointy and it's i was just like come on guys come on they kind of can't help themselves i mean that's that that's sort of just after they have like this weird there's like an affair going on and there's like this set scene in the scary ass lab you know just yeah as you do as you do (laughs) like the least erotic um yeah all all these disembodied all these like uh you know, dissected babies gives me the horn. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I've, I've, it seemed a bit gratuitous, but also there's a sequence. I mean, there's a sequence in Downfall, which is like a montage of death. And there's a sequence where naked people are being chased through a shower and both men and women, um, actually the women's in a towel, but what I'm getting at, there's a, there's a real vulnerability about, being chased when you're naked i mean <laughs> hitchcock knew what he's doing in psycho when he killed somebody in the shower it's it, and so yeah it's i i the actual <laughs> death felt horrifying i think there is vulnerability in the yeah idea of being chased while naked there is also vulnerability uh being chased by someone who themselves is naked <laughs> yeah uh naked zombies necromorphs i mean sorry <laughs> put some pants Um, on and then come and kill me (laughs) oh the last the last thing i want to see before being killed is that swinging around (laughs) (laughs) you said what did it get right i'm i'm trying and finding it a bit difficult to say specifically i think it just got i think it's that nihilistic tone and the exploration of people's religion um we're introduced to a few characters there's one called samuel irons who is a devout unitologist he also believes that the red marker i mean this marker we've been talking about it's kind of like waiting for the second coming of jesus and there's this whole like backstory about how when the original black marker was found, it was knowledge was suppressed by the government. And then one person called Michael Altman got the word out, but then he was silenced slash killed. So you sometimes, and he becomes a martyr. So you have unitologists saying sometimes like Altman be praised and things like that, blah, 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 blah. But he's Samuel Irons is not depicted as a, a religious crazy. He tries to keep the peace and had side note voiced by goro from the mortal kombat movies <laughs> who's voicing kamek in the mario movie it's like you know legend <laughs> um but you know talking about voices you've got the the the, the main character she's voiced i know her best for as um asej ventress from the clone war cartoons we've got um tron himself bruce Roxleitner, he plays a sort of a, he, a minor role. He plays a pilot. He's the guy who's flying the shuttle 
when like a bat flapped into the shuttle, he didn't <laughs> notice. He didn't. He didn't notice his dead girlfriend being resurrected behind him, and he brings the infection onto the Ishimura. There was Jib Cummings who plays uh, Captain Matthias, aka we've mentioned him before, the voice of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. Winnie the Pooh, yeah. When he uh, a syringe goes into his eye, I wanted to say, "Oh bother." Um, <laughs> but actually, speaking of that scene, so this at times crosses over into stuff you see in the game and specifically in the game you see how the captain dies through like a video recording and one key difference between uh the film and the game and i alluded to this before i think in the um game it's treated much more like a deliberate murder and the captain is a lot more sympathetic. He's still a true believer. The whole point of the Ishimura being there is that the captain's a unitologist and they believe a marker is on the planet. But in the film, it's very much like an accidental eye stabbing. And also the captain is fucking crazy. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's just an interesting difference. And I mentioned, I think it's just done because on the context of this narrative film, it's more of a escalation that things are really starting to hit the fan. Things, you know, like you talked about nihilism, things are just getting worse and worse and worse, and there's going to be no hope. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> that all the ejection pods, all the escape pods, I should say, are being shot out into space, so you're completely trapped there. Interestingly, in the game, there's a sequence where you find some escape pods with a necromorph inside it, so that's an interesting, again, canon difference if you care about such things sir systems are failing all over the ship shipboard communications all but down plot a course for us we're getting the hell out of here what lock down any sections of the ship affected by this disturbance i want it contained do you understand we have to get the artifact home that is our only mission now captain listen to me we're not in control anymore i'm not sure we ever were what are you talking about? The artifact, the mission, it's a trap. It has to be. We've brought something aboard that we didn't understand. Something alien, and it's trying to kill us. We cannot bring the artifact to Earth. Have you lost your mind, Doctor? The holy artifact must be delivered to the church if humanity is to be delivered into the welcome arms of the Universal Awakening. Keep your voice down. Tell me what to do, I'm the captain! This is my ship! You are being irrational. People are dying, we are all in danger. The Faithless want to destroy the artifact because they fear it. I won't allow it, Kine, I will not allow it! The marker is making us paranoid and delusional. It's the only explanation for the irrational behavior that has been plaguing the colony, the crew, and now the officers. This is not irrational, Doctor. This is religious persecution. And I'm not going to allow you or anyone else to destroy the artifact. What? Have the Doctor restrained! Sir, he's right. Don't you... He's speaking heresy! He's a spy planted on my ship to destroy any hope we have of transcending death! Just we need to calm down. Don't you... But I think with the characters, it does it does set up these, um, you know, differences of opinion, let's just say, and that you do have, you know, these unitologists, but they do have different agendas. And 
there is this idea that they are to retrieve this artifact, but there's this uh, scientist, Dr. Kine, who's, when the captain starts going a little bit crazy, is a bit like, uh, maybe tone it down a notch. Um, <laughs> and yeah, then there's the you know encounter with the syringe in the eye. Um, but even sort of later on, when Alyssa confronts Kine, who's the one who's basically decided hell this is crazy i need mm. to stop the infection here so it's time to basically and he send the ishimura yeah so like you know so his plan is to send the ishimura head first into the planet surface to wipe out the infection and stop it getting back home whereas the captain was like uh no we need to take this right back home now that all these monsters are here perfect you know what Alyssa is doing where she's trying to send a distress call and maybe like escape herself and all this all this kind of stuff is just like well actually the buck needs to stop here and maybe yeah blowing up the ishimura or destroying it with all the monsters stops it hey nerve you know the villain and he's beating up our hero he's doing it to save the galaxy effectively he's doing it to save earth especially but he's doing it in a way which will kill loads of innocent people because despite it being a massacre in Ishimura and on the colony, in the colony, Alyssa has been um, portrayed as somebody who will do everything she can to save people. And at the start of the film, she's butting heads with the captain because she wants to rescue people on the colony. And the captain's like, we're not sending anyone down to the colony because it's going crazy down there. So you kind of believe both points of view. She wants to, she doesn't want to destroy the ship. She wants to save as any survivors she can. Um, but Kine wants, is, is looking at the big picture. So it's, it's, you know, weighty stuff, good stuff, I thought. I guess like the bulk of it is sort of taken up with uh, different people encountering monsters and reacting and dying um, <laughs> therein. And she does have a like a, a, a sort of diverse security squad with her who I, I think some of the, like the quippy stuff is maybe a bit much, but it is to be expected. At one point, one of the characters says, hell, hell of a lot of blood, but no bodies. And the retort is, sounds like your parties. And then the quip back is, or your sets life. I, yeah, I wrote that, that down makes too. any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think we did stray into Mass Effect Paragon Lost territory. I don't know. I'm sure. I guess people are just really like that in the in the service. I think it's. I mean, I th- I think it's fun when they're at just there is a point at which everybody is shouting and swearing at each other, which I think is a pretty accurate portrayal of how people would be if this was happening uh, right in front of them. So you know that bit worked. I thought. But yeah, I mean, they're mainly there to be offed in gruesome ways or sacrifice themselves to save other people in mm. uh, gruesome ways. It's quite satisfying to see some eviscerations in it. I mean, we're both fans of the Evil Dead films. And yeah, I mean, I didn't shy away from the, the gore and it's really disturbing. There are, I think, still some creepy moments like when... You know, this the the first infectee that we're talking about going to the Ishimura. She's a scientist and she was one of the people who uncovered this marker. And when, you know, her boyfriend Tron or whatever, um, sort of like <laughs> here's my boyfriend, Tron. Oh, what do you do? 
I protect <laughs> the user. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, when he like you know finds her, there's like good use of you know the sort of like the way the angle, the sort of like top down view going in, and the shadows and her shadow, and the way she kind of like staggers towards him just um you know stepping on broken glass and not caring and then proceeds to just like slice her neck open with a laser cutter right in front of him it's mumbling about them wanting their her flesh etc um mm. yeah that's like effective and you know there's moments where like monster necromorph version of her just like is like looking through a vent and then just like quickly like disappears and <laughs> i think yeah it sometimes there's some it manages to sell some of the the creepy spooky scary stuff without it always being wall-to-wall viscera yeah i mean i've ended up watching downfall twice and i don't often do that um for like this podcast but i started the week watching downfall which led me to want to play the game and then when i realized i wasn't going to have enough time to finish the game I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll watch Downfall again before we do this podcast today. So uh, there's definitely something about it. So, yeah, I think, it, and um, like I said, you, you get to see some scenes from a different perspective. Uh, I mean, the character Nicole, there's a blonde scientist, and she's Isaac Clarke's girlfriend in the game. And they, they do nothing with her, but you see her and like you get, oh, it's Nicole. <laughs> well, I I was going to just double check that because there is yeah. a bit where they rescue a bunch of survivors, and this random survivor who's just kind of like sat there towering, and we have the main character Alyssa just say, "You got a boyfriend? You want to see him again?" And she kind of like nods. It's like, "Good girl." It's just like there is the only one reason why suddenly yes. there'd be this moment, and it's not because Alyssa cares about this person. I was like. Oh, I guess this must be Isaac's girlfriend. Then. I know it's very presumptive as well. If I saw a cry- a crying lady, I wouldn't just go up to her and say, "You've got a boyfriend." <laughs> I'd be like, I mean, you... it's, "It's different coming from me, actually." If I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you looking for a boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, and also like presumptuous to be like, you want to see him again? Like he isn't like dead in a corridor somewhere already. <laughs> mm. Do you want to see him again? I found his head in the corridor. Yeah. <laughs> He's got more arms now. Yeah. And his jaw is hanging down his belly button. Mm-mm. So, yeah, I haven't got much more to say on Downfall, like, spoiler-wise. I mean, I guess it ends in the only way it could, with the main character dying and flying off to space. Um, she uses her final moments to send a communique out into space to warn people, but I don't think that's ever actually picked up. In I mean, you certainly don't get fair warning in the game you don't like oh what's this well the beacon like sort of zips past as the kellyan which is the ship with which isaac is on is approaching the ishimura so mm. unless like someone had a net and quickly like <laughs> sort of like went hey what's that coming towards us whoop catch that i think it would be too late anyway it's also a bit of artistic license i believe because the events of the film take place two full days before the game and so, yeah, I think that was just a bit of connective tissue. So you're like, oh, hey, the game's starting. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
When you hear the beep, turn the page and change the disc (laughs) to Dead Space, the game. God, I kind of want to write a horror movie about somebody just going about their day and then that voice appears saying, when you hear the beep, turn the page. And you're like, what? (laughs) My whole life's a storybook. Aftermath. So I mentioned this is like more of like a, a pocket universe and i and i do i do like i mean i think well the one thing which has really effing annoyed me about people's interpretations of the alien franchise is that there's this real air of oh it's not the alien films without ripley and i've read tons of comics without ripley in it so you know i think it's that it's nothing prometheus and alien covenant they're shit but not because ripley's not in it (laughs) um so anyway, I think Alien Covenant is better than Blade Runner 2049, so screw you, you guys. You know what, Elizabeth? I know it's not a popular opinion, but I sort of agree. Um, mm. Even though Blade Runner 2049 is, is a gorgeous film, I think when Harrison Ford eventually appears wearing his own T-shirt, which is def- definitely not costume, it's like, I'm wearing this this time. Uh, yeah, it loses me. But... Um, it is like a separate film. It takes place, I mean, a separate story. It takes place two weeks after the events of two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. I think it's after... three weeks. But Some anyway. time has passed and <laughs> age of seven. More than a fortnight, is, less than a is... month. <laughs> I love that. See, see that text over a star field. <laughs> <laughs> So they're dealing with the fallout of the Ishimura incident and there's been reports of like a shard of the red marker on there and um, a series of unfortunate events happened and the, the bulk of the narrative is people saying, so doing, doing, saying in flashbacks what's what's happened why is it why we start the film of only four survivors and you know conveniently these flashbacks start round about the time that the previous person's flashback <laughs> given through interrogation ends so that's very nice of them i didn't realize that and i bet if you went through each flashback there'll be scenes they couldn't possibly have been privy to um but despite my misgivings when the animation <sighs> inconsistency um I think it's a decent story and I think I think one thing I did like I think in the middle section I mean, they, they hold their cards to their chest when it turn, comes to displaying the necromorph so I think in one animation style flashback they are shadowy red-eyed figures you just don't really see what they are and then I think the later latter one is like more of a monster fest where you see everything nothing's left to the imagination so I thought that was cool yeah, the framing is that these survivors are being interrogated to find out uh, what occurred in this sort of aftermath because it's basically about a bunch of people who are going down to the planet, which is basically falling apart partially due to the planet cracking and partially due to uh, the marker and everything, the events of the first game basically exploding into the surface and yes they're trying to retrieve these pieces of of the marker at least sort of sent down to harness their their powers and so like the first two flashbacks of them kind of going to the planet and yeah you don't really see the necromorphs it's all kind of hallucinations from the fragments and Mm. planet surface like erupting and people dying either melting and you know and catching fire because of the lava or falling into lava pits and 
or being squashed by giant boulders and having their heads explode. Well, just just talking about that. So yeah, I think the two D animation. Although I have an issue with it being inconsistent from flashback to flashback, you get to have a lot more horror and a lot. It's a lot more interestingly directed. I'm thinking of the visions. Um, there's a there's a character called Cutner whose daughter died three weeks ago, and we have hallucinations of her head sort of being twisted off by the impact of a car. That's horrific stuff, and it's animated. I hate to use this phrase, but it's animated beautifully. Um, but then we cut back to the CGI daughter, who's like a shop mannequin, like from the early learning <laughs> center. And it's just like, daddy, daddy. And she has this blood down her face. And it looks like, it looks like tomato ketchup. <laughs> yeah. But top tier 2D animation stuff, methinks. I did roll my eyes when like the interrogators, well, firstly, they're sort of starting each flashback by subjecting everyone to like a holographic, fear or they're a holographic thing they're afraid of and it's an electronically induced hallucination based on their number one fear i know the doctor looks like richard o'brien as well <laughs> um but you know we get cutler covered in cgi fire and it's like it's like the money for nothing music video <laughs> it's like rah, rah. And, well you um, sent me a picture of alejandro and in his turn, his fear is spiders, and he's just got all these little CG spiders swarming around them, and then he screams, and then a bunch of spiders just like fly out of his mouth. I know. I really wanted to turn that into a GIF because it was actually I was just wetting myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, they all all are in people who are interrog well, interrogated, in, and then they get murdered or sometimes locked into us into a coffin. Um, I said I rolled my eyes. I, I rolled my eyes when, like, the interrogators are them themselves murdered by the soldiers to, you know, the film posits, like, to keep as few people to know about this as possible. But then you think, well, do the soldiers who executed the interrogators that killed? It, <laughs> how far up does it go? It's just like a, yeah, a no loose ends chain which just keeps going up to the top until there's just like you know the overseer or whatever this president mm. and stuff it's just like oh guess i better kill myself just in case someone asks me what happened and then someone finds your dead body and asks questions starting it all again you know like and you're in like heaven or hell going no i tied up all the loose ends probably hell <laughs> <laughs> but not unitologist hell that would really annoy me Oh, Judean Christian hell, this is not what I sinned for. <laughs> you bastard, can't you see her? In the chair, She's right please. there. Ah! No, she needs me. I have to protect her. She needs her father. No, no, Vivian, Vivian, let me go. Let me go. Mr. Cutner, please calm yourself. We have some questions. I'm not telling you shit until I see my daughter. Mr. Cutner. The mind holds countless rational and irrational fears. For you, the fear is being burned alive. Oh, 
That was simply an electronically induced hallucination created in the brain. But the mind is reality, is it not? I don't think there's any revelations of this one too much. I mean, the big one is that the ship is flying towards uh, Titan base, which is known as the Sprawl. And that is where Dead Space 2 takes place. And the far last shot is the camera moving towards like a frozen patient morgue thingy. Is that... Cryopods, call them by Cryo... their name. <laughs> That's why I was fired from the cry- cryonics division of <laughs> yeah you, we we pan across one of the protagonists, the true believer of unitology, who's also claustrophobic. His end is that he's trapped in a coffin alive, waiting to, for processing, and next to his coffin is Isaac Clark's coffin Ooh. thingy Crip. but this character he's he's in dead space too, right? This is the dr nolan strauss Stross. Stross, um, and basically, he's one of the sort of four survivors, and he's in a kind of like deeper mission in terms of unitology, even more so than his superiors, in order to crack the code of this marker. And he's the one who basically unleashes the net batch of necromorphs through his through his uh, playing god, and you know, doing sciencey bits. Well, I read on the Wikipedia that the mobile game I mentioned, uh, Dead Space, the mobile game, <laughs> as um, it says the main character in that, and who's only revealed as a f- female character at the very end, they, they do a lot of uh, Metroid thing there. She is apparently the one who's accidentally responsible for releasing the Necromorphs onto Titan Station. But you know what? I'm sure they, they can both be right. <laughs> they were like mutually exclusively yeah. like testing on dead tissue using the markers yeah. and no, I think, this I higher think knowledge she she um she releases the necromorphs and she thinks oh i bet i'm gonna get in trouble for this now and then a, a simultaneous necromorph outbreak happens across the sprawl and she's like oh thank fuck for that <laughs> you as you. her face is like melted by yeah. acid vomit or something yeah as her eyeballs explode from behind as spikes go through the back of her head lovely imagery there yeah th- this is generally a weaker proposition than um the first film but i i i, I did enjoy having graham mctavish aka yes. dracula from castlevania uh playing the uh the space captain who at least in maybe half the 2D animation iterations, looks like Count Dooku, um, mm. at least in the Clone Wars. Um, but it's always nice to have a fruity Scot saying stuff like, we don't have time for this shite. Yeah, I mean, Scottish people belong in space. Uh, <laughs> not as a rule. I don't want to shoot them into space. <laughs> Just like Scott, like from Scotty, played by a Canadian onwards. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going through my notes. I'm just trying to think. I think the only thing I I haven't mentioned in general, and we mentioned Warren Ellis, but they also had two other creators for that the scenario. Uh, Rick Remender is a comic book writer who was involved, and he also did a comic I really enjoyed called Black Science. And as the name suggested, it like black magic, which deals with like the dark side of science, and it's about parallel universes it's like sliders basically where people are trapped in parallel universes trying to get home and i think aesthetically that looks 
very much like Dead Space with like special universe jumping uh, outfits, and there's a real air of like complete no hopeness about it. It's really de- there's lots of just devastating stuff in that. So that would be my top pick for further reading, I suppose. Unlike Downfall, Aftermath does have a moment where it acknowledges game origins in a oh, yes. gamey section because there is one of the characters who is playing what looks a little bit like a Nintendo Switch, but like they call it a hollow game. I'm not sure what game he's playing. I imagine it must be something from EA or whatever, but it looks pretty good. It's like some hmm. it's like actually got better CG animation in that bit than <laughs> the movie. There's oh kind of like God, hack yeah. and slash maybe medieval-y style game. I don't know what it is. But Dark anyway, Souls uh, vibe? I don't know. I don't know No, it's well it's enough. a bit more kind of like sort of kill 'em all, you know, side scrolly stuff. Um but at one point I think one of the characters sort of asks him about the game or something. And he goes like, eh, movie was better. Yeah, that blew my mind a bit. <laughs> like That takes some cojones. <laughs> well, I guess, is he playing a video game adaptation of a movie or a video game which became a movie? I guess it depends on how much... As you say, the people who made Dead Space Aftermath thought they were doing a good product. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like pretty nice, pretty nice for us uh, to see representation. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was as much complexity in Aftermath as there was in Downfall. I mean, I, I think it, it's still nice to have this kind of like yeah, these bleak endings to these survivors, like they've made it out of the worst situation possible into what they, you know, would consider relative safety. And then it's just like, oh, we're going to repeatedly electrocute you um, and then stick you in a chair and make you live out your worst nightmare and then force you to relive these events. And then when we do so, we will either gun you down make you think you're going to get away with it and then shoot you in the back of the head, stick you in a coffin, which you don't like for further interrogation later, or we're going to lobotomize you and blame everything that happened on you and claim you're a crazy terrorist. I thought it was quite funny how they did shoot one of those survivors in like the corridor when you'd usually do that in the back room or something. <laughs> it's like he's, he falls forward into a pool of his own blood and like, oh man, I've got to wash that pool of blood now. I think, like, considering that was just after the Cutner character, like, tried to escape after shooting a bunch of people and then himself got shot and then went crazy, hallucinated and injected himself into space with a bunch of other soldiers. Um, I think they're kind of like, ah, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? We're going to try and kill them all anyway if they haven't had the markers stuff imprinted into their brains for extraction later. Or whatever the hell their plan was. Yeah, I still have no idea. Hopefully the remake will make that perfectly clear. Or maybe I've just not read enough of the extended material. I hope the remake includes Dead Space Aftermath DLC and we get to see all these wonderful characters look completely different all over again. (laughs) Or maybe we can be, as well as a visual upgrade, you can turn on Dead Space Aftermath mode where all (laughs) the characters look like, as I say, they are... I mean, I got... Do you remember the Starship Troopers CGI cartoon, Roughnecks? 
that was pretty impressive when it was the only CGI show on telly. <laughs> um, but yeah. even Reboot so, looks better than theirs. I know. It'd be funny Sorry, if one guys. of the characters in this film, one of the characters in this film was like just bright purple for no explanation. Have you done anything to your hair? Oh, it's like solid silver. So it's not been a complete waste of time, this, has it? <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed returning to the world of Dead Space and there's potentially, if the remake goes well, maybe there'll be more, you know, maybe this will start more video game movies or TV shows or something down the line. Um, well, if you ever get wait. bored, you should always watch that 1991 Dead Space Oh uh, yeah, the original. <laughs> Maybe we can do that as a bonus episode one day, and see. Oh, this doesn't see how well it recreates a game made like a decade later. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so that is really us closing the lid on Dead Space for now, um, unless it's resurrected by a giant bat thing. In the meantime, how can people keep in touch with games on film? You can find more information about the podcast on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. And we're on social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we regularly share and retweet news and details of forthcoming video game releases, as well as more information about our podcast. And you can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. All episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, indeed, wherever you listen to your podcast. So please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. And uh, yeah, tune in next time for more horror fun as we tackle another horror video game movie for Halloween-ish time. Woo! Oh, it's my favourite time of the year, Halloween-ish time. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.